And what a way to start our time together this morning. Hello and welcome. It's good to be here with you. My name is Chris, one of the pastors here at Crossroads. And I don't know what it is, I can't put my finger on it, but something that feels different about today. Like, is there something going on this afternoon? Like, a, what is it, like a football game? I can't wait, because man, I love soccer. Um, Anyway, welcome to Crossroads Church. Uh, a, a little story about myself. When I was a freshman at Wheat Ridge High School, home of the farmers, um, it was the last day of the seniors' uh, year, right? This was the, at the end of the year. The seniors all got out about a week or two ahead of everybody else, and their last period was like period three or four, right in the middle of the day. Well, my period three was uh, in type. I had typing. Like, I didn't learn how to type until I was in ninth grade. My kids kind of like were born knowing how to type, uh, but I had to learn it in ninth grade. And, and my period three was in the middle of the senior hallway, which meant right when the bell rang at the end of class, the hallway immediately exploded with shaving cream, water balloons, toilet paper, confetti, like you name it. It was, it was just this war zone out in the senior hallway because they were all celebrating being done with school. And so me and a couple of my buddies, we asked our typing teacher if we could stay in the classroom for a few minutes to kind of let things cool off uh, and then we could, we could plan our escape. And so sure enough, uh, the time came. We were about to be late to our next class. Um, things had not calmed down yet, but we had to, to kind of plan <clears throat> our escape. And so I like gathered these guys around. It was like we were going to war together. I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do, uh, right? You're going to lead the way. We're going to hunch down. I'm going to take your six and we're going to run down the hallway against the lockers with our backpacks uh, like shields. And, and we're going to do everything we can just to kind of blend in. Like we don't want to be seen. Uh, we don't want anybody to, to know we're there. We just want to get out of here as quickly as we can. And sure enough, we accomplished our mission. We blended into those lockers so well, nobody even knew we were there. We didn't get any shaving cream bombs to the face. It was awesome. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because that story is completely opposite of the first century church. You see, the first century church uh, that we've been looking at in the first, uh, in the middle of Acts, uh, had every reason to want to just blend into the lockers. They had every reason. Why? Because there was so much persecution going on, this, this terrifying uh, persecution where people were being drugged out of their homes and, and killed or put in prison because of their faith. And, and they had every reason to just sort of want to blend in. But instead of doing that, as they were scattered, they preached the good news. They got louder and louder. You see, the very attempt to, to squash this movement of Jesus actually propelled it forward. The very attempt to, to kill what was happening was like throwing gasoline on a campfire and it just exploded all over the known world. And so what we've been looking at over these last several weeks through this season in the book of Acts are, are these Christians who are going out and they're, they're living these, the, 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 these lives in front of people where they're telling others about Jesus. They're, they're showing his love and, and we see these people start to come to faith, right? We, we see Simon the magician and a lot of other Samaritans come to faith in Christ. And then we see the Ethiopian eunuch who believes and is baptized and, and countless other people are, are coming to faith. Then we see Saul, who was the one who initiated the persecution. If you remember, he was the one who started the scattering. Well, he then comes to know Jesus, gets knocked
knocked off his horse one day and uh, is face to face with him and, and turns his life around. Just this, this, these crazy stories of all that's going on. And then to cap all of that off, Peter has this vision that God gives him that, hey, look, now it's not just for the Jews. This is for everybody. This is for everybody. That the work that Jesus has done on the cross is, is for everyone who, who hears, everyone who's willing to listen, everyone who's willing to accept it. And just to help us understand how big of a paradigm shift that was for them, just imagine going home today after church, before the soccer game, and, uh, and you have an official uh, package that's been delivered to your house from uh, England, and, and it's from King Charles the third, rest in peace, Queen Elizabeth, right? And you open up this package, and what it says, it says, it says hey, uh, we just want to let you know that we've pulled a few strings, and you are, are now considered a, a, a citizen of England. Like, you don't have to go through the process. You don't have to, to do any of that. We pulled some strings, and now you have dual citizenship here in the U.S., and if you ever come to England, just know that you are a citizen um, here. But not only that... Um, I, I pulled a few more strings, and I've actually uh, brought you into the royal family. Now, now you're a part of the, the royal family in England, which, which means a lot of things, but in part what it means is that you are also now an heir. That, that whatever anybody inherits in the royal family, like, you're a part of that, uh, you're, you're a part of that now. Like, as weird as that sounds, and like as, as shocking, like all of us would think, okay, this is a scam, throw it away. But this is the kind of paradigm shift that was going on right here. Like these Gentile, these people who are non-Jewish Gentiles were hearing these stories, hearing this message of Christ, and they're going, wait, me? Like, are you sure you got the right person? Are, are you sure you delivered the package to the right house? Like, are you sure? Because this isn't how it's supposed to be. This is the kind of paradigm shift that was going on right here, what we have been reading about. You see, Jesus started this movement that was turning everything upside down. And how we've been saying it every week is this, is that the church is the countercultural movement that creates a new kind of human with new values, with new identity, and new community. That what Jesus started in his ministry, in his life, his death, and his resurrection is this movement that creates a new kind of person a new, with new values, new identity, and new community, that you are no longer bound by your bloodline. You are no longer confined to the country you were born and raised in. You are no longer segregated because of the color of your skin or the language that you spoke, that this new movement is for everybody, which is good news for us, especially for those of us who are feeling like we just can't find our place. Like maybe you're there right now, maybe at work or in life or in school or at home or wherever, like you feel like you just don't fit in. Do you ever feel that way? The good news for us is that in this movement of Christ is that there's a place for all of us. There's a place for you. If you're here wondering, like, is this for me? There is a place for you that you belong here. You are welcomed into the movement of Christ. 
And so today we are wrapping up this second season of the book of Acts. Don't worry, we're going to continue Acts at a later date. Uh, but this is our second season through the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11. And as we wrap this up today, we're going to be looking at this story that happens. I'd love for you to follow along on your phone, on, in your Bible, if you'd like. Um, in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, starting in 19, it says this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, which is just north of, of Jerusalem, uh, and Cyprus, which is out in the Mediterranean Sea, an island out there, and Antioch, which is a few hundred miles north of Jerusalem, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists or the Greeks also preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to look at the city called Antioch. Just to kind of give you a little bit of geographical context, a couple hundred miles north of Jerusalem, it was in Syria, Antioch, Syria. Today it's, it's a city called Antakya, Turkey. Uh, it's about 60 miles to the west of Aleppo. You've seen Aleppo in the news uh, over the last few years, right, with all the war going on in Syria. This is where it was. In fact, the, the, the uh, earthquake, the devastating earthquake that just happened this past week, it, this, is ha this is happening right where all of that is going on. We're, we're praying for our brothers and sisters there in Turkey, just the incredible loss of life and death destruction that's going on there. So please be praying for them. But this is where this is all happening. Um, now, Antioch was uh, the largest city, the third largest city in the world behind Rome and Alexandria. It was, it was, uh, it was a melting pot of cultures and of religious faith and, and of beliefs. It was, it was kind of like life in the fast lane. I mean, think of Las Vegas without the lights and the slot machines. You have Antioch. All right. Antioch, they had this temple right outside the city um, that was a, a temple that was designated for the Greek goddess Daphne. Uh, in the temple were temple prostitutes, and night and day men would go to the temple to worship, reenacting the, 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 the famous uh, mythology chase between Apollo and Daphne, and they would worship by engaging with these temple prostitutes. This is what was going on in Antioch. It was, a, it was an evil dark, perverse place. In fact, in a dark empire, which was the Roman Empire, it was known as being evil. Like, that's how you know how bad Antioch was. It made all the rest of the Roman Empire blush. It was distinctly evil. And so as these people scattered and they went and they preached the Lord Jesus, it says that they, that they went about their lives, they preached the message of Jesus. Now, when it says that they preached the message of Jesus, it wasn't like this, where, where everybody comes into a room and you sit and we have a microphone and, and somebody stands up and delivers a message. That's not how this happened. What, what, what that meant is that as they went about their lives, they would share Jesus with people. As they went about gathering water and food, as they went about their work, uh, as they went about their jobs, as they went about um, doing their laundry, repairing their house, wh whatever it was, they just simply talked about Jesus. Here's the thing. You couldn't get the first century believers to shut up about Jesus. 
They were so excited. They were, they were so just enthralled, just so amazed about what Jesus was doing that you could not get them to stop talking about Jesus. So much so that this evil city, Antioch, became the city where the first Gentile church was planted. The first Gentile church ever was planted in the city. And later in the coming seasons, we'll see that Antioch, this city, actually becomes the hub of international missions, which is pretty unreal. So God is doing amazing things in the darkness, in the evil uh, that's around them. And continuing on verse 21, it says this, and the, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So here, what's going on is that news about the revival that's happening in Antioch travels down a couple hundred miles to the church leaders in Jerusalem. They hear about this. They're like, man, we got to send people there to support them. We got to send people there to minister, to pastor, to lead these new believers. And so they got this guy named Barnabas, who was a good man. We're going to hear more about Barnabas in the coming seasons because he and Paul end up partnering together for a lot of the ministry that goes on throughout the book of Acts. And so they send Barnabas to Antioch, quickly realizes that he needs help. Like it was this overwhelming amount of people coming to faith. And so continuing on in verse 25, it says this. So Barnabas saw what was going on. He went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is where the name, the term Christian started. This is where it was coined. This is where it was first mentioned ever. You see, before this point, followers of Jesus were simply called that. They were called followers of Jesus or, or disciples or, or believers or followers of the way. But here, in this dark place, they were called Christians. And so for the rest of our time, we're just going to look at two, two simple questions. The first question is this, is what is a Christian? The second question is why did they call them Christian? What is a Christian and why did they call them that? And I think the first one is a really important one, especially for those of us who maybe been around church world for a while because we forget things, don't we? We forget things, or things get confusing, or, or we end up settling for things that aren't quite right. So it's an important question for us to ask. So let's start with that. What is a Christian? I'm, I'm glad you asked. It's a great question. Why? So it's a, it's a term that over the years, it's, it's, it's brought along a lot of baggage with it, hasn't it? In fact, for many of us, maybe the term at one point had a lot of negative connotation right? The, the, the evil things that have been done in the name of Christianity over the last 2,000 years of church history, right? Maybe for some of us, the term Christian isn't so good. For others of us, we think of the term Christian as something that describes uh, the set of values that we live by, 
or a set of principles that you, that you live by. Maybe for some of us, the, the term Christian describes how you vote, how you manage your money, how you spend your time on Sunday mornings. Uh, maybe for some of us, the term Christian describes our business or the music we listen to or uh, living a life that's nice and kind to other people. Right? To, to, to further complicate things, the term Christian uh, has been used by different religious groups with vastly different beliefs. Right? For instance, we at Crossroads Church, we call ourselves Christians. That that we, we are followers of Christ. But you go down the road to a Jehovah's Witness uh, church or, or to a, a Mormon church and they call themselves the same thing. But beliefs are vastly, vastly different there. So the term has kind of got confusing over the years. That's why we're going to look at the question, what is a Christian? What do you think? Well, it started off with, uh, with, with two different words, right? A Greek word and a Latin word. And, and the term that they actually called these believers was Christianos. Let's all say that together. Ready? Christianos, congratulations, you just learned Greek and Latin in just a matter of a few seconds. So what this meant was Christ, right? It's the Greek term for, for Christ or, or, or Messiah. And then the, the, the ending, the Latin ending is, is like belonging to or in the party of or little ones. So it's literally, it's little ones of Christ, like little Christ ones or those who are in the party of or belong to Christ, the Messiah, this was a term that was actually given to Christians by people who were outside. Did you know that? It wasn't like Christians all thought, hey, what do we call ourselves? Let's come up with this new term. No, it was the people who were not believers who were looking on what was happening that coined the term. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. So that's where the actual word comes from. But what does it mean theologically? What does it mean theologically? So Jesus gives us a really clear understanding of what this means. See, there's this man during Jesus' ministry named Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. He was one of the Jewish leaders. And he came to Jesus at nighttime and said, hey, Jesus, I see what you're doing. I, I hear what you're saying. And, and man, I'm not getting it. Like, please help me understand. Like, he was actually genuinely interested in what Jesus had to say. And Jesus tells him this in John chapter 3. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this term, you may think, well, that doesn't help me at all, because what in the world does that mean? And that term probably has a lot of baggage, just like the word Christian does. Like, what does it mean to be born again, right? Like, those are the people that, that, that get made fun of, right? Well, what in the world does this mean? Here's, a, here's, here's the, the actual meaning of what Jesus was talking about, is, is, that, um, we were, is that you have to be made new. Like, the term literally means to be made new or to be brought into existence Again, another way to think of it is to be refashioned by a supernatural source. You see, what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's, he's drawing a line of distinction. He's saying, look, this isn't just a philosophy or a teaching that you can just add to your, your life. This isn't just something that you can like glean some helpful principles from about how to treat your wife and how to manage your money and how to be kind to others. This isn't just a list of like to do's, but there's actually something supernatural going on here. You see, a Christian is this. It's someone who realizes 
that they are spiritually dead and that they need to be made new. Not spiritually wounded, not scarred, not struggling, not, not hurting, but spiritually dead. We're starting a, a Celebrate Recovery in just a couple of weeks. Like the shirt? Yeah? Oh, three of you. Awesome. Yeah. I'm really excited about this ministry because it's a ministry that's designed uh, to help everybody and everybody, anybody and everybody who's going through any sort of difficulty. We have a slide here. What I'd encourage you to do is, is take a picture of that, send it to a friend, RSVP for the first night if you'd like. Um, don't think of this as people, it's just for people who are struggling with substance abuse, Okay. When you hear the word recovery, you might think, oh, that's for people who struggle with alcohol or drugs. Now, that could be it in part. But let me, let me ask you, if you're struggling with unforgiveness, if you're struggling with codependency, if you're struggling with anger, if you're struggling with jealousy, if you just feel stuck in life, guess what? Celebrate recovery is for you. So I want to invite you to it. I want you to, I want you to come. I want you to stop at the table on the way out. Talk to somebody in a shirt like this. They'll answer any questions. Get some invite cards. Take them with you to work or to uh, wherever and, and hand them out. Invite people to come and join us. But here's why I bring this up. Because in Celebrate Recovery, the very, very first principle is super important. And it kind of goes along these lines of, of being spiritually dead. All right? Uh, and, and at Celebrate Recovery, we do a lot of like group reading. So we're going to practice today. So if you do come to CR, you'll know what to expect, right? So, so we're going to read this together. And I want you to read it way louder than the first service, okay? I won't tell them, uh, but I want you to do it really loud. Okay, ready? Let's read it together. Realize I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. What happens in you when you read that? Like, does it resonate? Like, yeah, like that's where I'm at. Or do you find yourself kind of like wanting to fight back? Like, oh yeah, watch me. You think my life is unmanageable? Watch me manage my life. I've been managing my life this long. Like, I can do it. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can, I can get over what I need to get over. I can do what I need to do. Here's the, here's the thing, is that when we respond to this principle in that way, we do not understand the fact that we, at one time or currently, were spiritually dead. You see, that's the difference between what self-help is, which is try harder, do better, get your act together, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get your strength together. Come on, get your act together and get on board. That's self-help. Christianity is, man, I'm, I'm spiritually dead. I don't need help. I need a gurney. You see the difference? That's what's going on here. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5. He says, happy are those who know they are spiritually poor. Spiritually poor. What does that mean? That means that no matter what I try, that, that I do not have the ability within and of myself to do anything good. That I am spiritually poor. That I have this level of poverty within my soul that I am dead in my sin. And I need to be refashioned. So Jesus starts off by saying, what is a Christian? It means to be born again. Well, how do you do that? 
How do you do that? Ephesians chapter 2, Paul gives us some, 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 another answer. He says this, for by what? Grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it starts off with realizing that I'm spiritually dead. And then, it, and then I, when, when I realize that I can't do anything to save myself, that there's this free gift of grace. What is grace? It's, it's unmerited favor. It's, it's something that, that's given to me that I do not deserve, that I cannot earn, and that I cannot lose once I have it. So I realize I'm spiritually dead. I accept the free grace of God. And then Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In other words, what he's saying here is, after you've realized that you're dead in your sin, you're spiritually poor, and after you've received this free gift of grace, what comes next is that you follow me. Meaning that you are no longer the captain of your ship. That you are no longer the Lord of your own life. You are no longer the king of your domain. And man, this just kind of grates at the core of what we love in our culture, in our society, isn't it? Like we love to be the ones in charge, right? Here's the thing. If you want to be a follower of Christ, you're no longer in charge. He's the one that calls the shots. He's the one that tells you what's right and wrong. He's the one who sets the standard. He's the one that tells you where to go, what to say, what to do. And as followers of Christ, we say, yes, sir. Yes, Lord. Like you are my Lord. I've, I've died to myself. I've picked up my cross and I'm now following you. Not because of, of my works, but because of your grace. So with all of that, what is a Christian? Here's a simple definition. A Christian is this, someone who surrenders to Jesus, receives new life from Jesus, and follows Jesus. A Christian is someone who surrenders their life to Jesus, realizing that they can't do it on their own, receives new life from Jesus, that's the grace we read about in Ephesians, and follows Jesus, that he is now the Lord of their life. And here's the thing, this isn't just one and done. It's not like, oh yeah, I did that. I, I did that a long time ago. No, no, no. This is an everyday sort of thing. This is an everyday, every morning I wake up, it's Jesus, I surrender to you. Jesus, I receive the grace you have for me. And Jesus, I deny myself and I'm following you. You are the king. And sometimes it's more than every day. Sometimes it's every minute. God, help me right now. I really want to take control of my ship. I really want to be steering my own, my own boat. But, but God, let me just release that to you. You are, you are the Lord. And here's the beautiful thing is that once this gift has been given to us, you can't lose it. That we get to experience this abundant life both now and in the life to come. That we literally become a new person refashioned by a supernatural source with a new identity, new values, and new community. That's what, that's what it is. So, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? For some of us, maybe we've thought we were, maybe we've been going to church for a long time. 
We've been here, we've, we've been at other churches for, for a long time, and, and we've gone through all the motions, but maybe for some of us, our heart hasn't gotten to this place. For others of us, we're here and we're, we're looking into it. We're, 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 we're researching what it means to be a part of this church. And, I, and here's the thing, wherever you're at, I just want to say that the invitation's always open. That the invitation of God is always open, that his grace never runs out, that, it's, that, that nothing you've ever done or gone through is too big for the grace of God, that it's bigger, and that you're invited, that you're welcome. So that's what a Christian is. That's what a Christian is. So the second question, why then did the people in Antioch call these followers of Jesus Christian? To help us answer this question uh, as we wrap up here, it's helpful to know how the city of Antioch was, was designed. You see, like most cities back then, it was this big circular city with a huge wall that wrapped all the way around the city for protection. And then on the inside of that wall, you had the, the, the marketplace kind of at the very center, but then around that, but still inside the wall, you had uh, the, the residents, you had the city. But that city, even though there was a lot of different ethnicities there, it was still very segregated like most cities in the time. So over here you had the Macedonians. Uh, over in that quadrant you had the, the Athenians. Over here you had the Syrians. Over here you had the, the Jews, right? And, and you just sort of stayed in your place. You just sort of hung out with your people. We, we, we segregated ourselves and stay in our place. But, but here's the thing is, Christ followers come along one day. They start living a little bit differently, right? Because they're new people with new community, new values. They come into Antioch and they begin to, to make friends with people in this quadrant. And they begin to make friends with people over here in this quadrant and that quadrant. And soon enough, what happened in Antioch is that the Christians literally tore down these dividing walls because they were preaching the good news wherever they went, they were distinct. So much so that the people of Antioch had to come up with a new word for them. You see, they redefined the vocabulary in the city and ultimately for the, for the world. They, they redefined community in this radical way. And they're like, what are we going to call these people? Like they're, they're blurring all the lines. They're, they're, they're going outside of their bounds. What are we going to call them? Let's call them Christians. Christ ones. That's how they got their name. And you see, this is how the first century church grew because these Christ ones lived in such a distinct way that they weren't bound anymore by these barriers. That when plagues would come, when, when, when famines would, would hit, that, that they weren't running away from the sicknesses, that they weren't self-serving because they were hungry, but they were running to those who were sick. And they were helping and they were giving to those who were hungry. They were living different and distinct lives. Have you ever met anybody like that? A follower of Jesus that's so distinct, they just kind of stand out. One that, that sticks in my mind is a pastor that I met when I was in Lebanon with a team of us here uh, several years ago, we went and we, we had a dinner one night and we were sitting there enjoying our food and I was just two seats away from this pastor that was from Syria. 
And back then, like the, the war with ISIS and everything was just at this all-time high, like you heard all this stuff going on about it. And, and here I was sitting with an interpreter between me and this pastor who uh, lived in Syria with his wife and his kids. And I start hearing from him all these stories, just fascinating stories. What they would do is they would go out every day, he and his ministry partners, and they would go from village to village, and they would see who's in need, who's hungry, who's naked, who's sick, and they would, they would help them. They would minister to them in a tangible way, telling them of the love of Christ for them and, and all this amazing ministry going on. And so as we're talking and as the night progresses, I finally get the guts to ask him, like, hey, pastor, I said, what is your biggest concern? Right? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, I'd be terrified. Like, all you see on the news about Syria, all the bombings, all the everything going on, like, I'd be terrified to be there. What is your biggest concern? And he takes a moment and he looks at me. And he says, my biggest concern, Chris, is that Christians are leaving Syria. And when every Christian leaves, it leaves more work for the rest of us what he said. And I was just blown away by this man's humility, but it doesn't end there. So not being satisfied with his answer, I go, yeah, but okay, I get that. Like, that's cool. Like, good for you. Like, I, genuinely, that's amazing. But, but what about your safety? Like, you're in Syria with your wife and your kids, and you're doing all this ministry. Like, what about that? Aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid for your own safety? Like, things could happen. And, and right after I said that, without even skipping a beat, he kind of chuckles a little bit and almost flippantly says, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, every day we go out, I don't know that I'm going to come home. And I'm just like, are you really, like, telling me this right now? Every day we go out, my, my wife and my kids say goodbye to me in the morning, and they don't know if they're going to see me that night. <laughs> like, nothing could stop this guy. It was so distinct this man was living, walking, and talking his faith in such a distinct way. It blew me away. I had to get up from the table. I went to the men's room and sat in the stall and just wept. I had this mixture of conviction and humility and just awe about this man's approach. That he was living such a distinct life just like these believers were in, Acts chapter, in, in this season of Acts. So what about you? You call yourself a Christian. For those of you who do, are you living a distinct life? Are you living, walking and talking, a life that, that other people look at you and say, man, there's something different, like there's something that makes this person tick that I don't see in anyone else? Or... Are you being like freshman Chris that's just trying to blend into the lockers? Like we see our world getting worse and worse. We see things going on in our state, like here at home, and we see, and it makes us nervous, right? And, and we see the evil that's growing in the world, and, and we just sort of want to blend in. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to be called names. We don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to, we don't want to stand up for truth. We don't want to be lights in a dark place. We just sort of want to blend in. Where are you at? Where are you at with this? Because here's the thing. When we are part of this movement of Jesus, we can't afford to blend in. You see, this multicultural movement, 
of Jesus, where we have new values, new identity, where we have new community, we cannot afford to just blend in. Christian, you were called to be distinct. Remember how Jesus said it? Salt and light in a world. The darker our world gets, the brighter our lights have to shine. And here's the thing, we can't afford to blend in. Why? Because there's a world that's desperately looking for truth, for love, for people who are going to live distinct lives. Is that going to be you? Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we thank you. Father, first we thank you for your grace. God, thank you for seeing us in our spiritually dead state and offering us this free gift. God, that we can be remade, renewed, refashioned by your spirit. Father, I pray that we would live distinct lives. I pray, God, that as we walk out these doors, God, that we would go forward in the, in the power of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, just like these believers did. That wherever we go, to the restaurants after church, to the, to the stores, where we go to work this week and in our neighborhoods, God, that we would live distinct lives, walking and talking differently, that others might hear of your love for them. And God, for those who are here this morning, who are ready to place their faith in you, who are ready to, to surrender to you, to be remade by you, God, we thank you that your invitation is always open, no matter where we're at, no matter what we've done. And it's in your good name we pray these things. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time, we'd love to talk with you about that. We'd love to pray with you. If you can just simply text the name Jesus to this number and a real life person will get back in touch with you. We wanna help you get connected with the rest of the family, with the rest of the body of believers. So please do that, right? Every weekend we spend time remembering the sacrifice of Jesus with the bread and the cup. The sacrifice of Jesus that broke down any dividing walls the sacrifice of Jesus that creates a multi-ethnic movement, the sacrifice of Jesus that, that brings us close to God. And so we take the bread and we remember, we remember Jesus' body that was broken and given for you. Let's remember together. and the cup which represents his blood, the forgiveness of God for the salvation of all who believe, poured out for you. Let's remember together. Friends, we're gonna stand in just a moment and respond to our good God with singing, with, with joyful noise, with dancing. If you wanna dance, feel free. We are here to celebrate God and what he has done for us. During our time of singing, we're going to have people over here underneath the prayer banner who would love to step out into the hall with you and pray with you. If you'd like to pray with someone, no matter what's going on, we'd love to do that for you. All right, let's stand together as we sing.